Get ready for a one-of-a-kind experience. Welcome, welcome to the Starter Zone, your home for the weekly news from around the world. Your host for this journey, Amanda. Looked like a great pumpkin to me. She's going to bring you everything you need to hear about entertainment, gaming, and maybe just a little bit bizarre. Hold tight, because here she comes. All right, thank you, Raven, for that warm, warm welcome. Hello there, my friends, and good day to you all. Welcome back to the Starter Zone. I am your guide, Amanda, and it is time to bring you the headlines from all of the entertainment news sources. Today is November the 15th. Let's take a look at some of the headlines we're going to be covering. Taylor Swift is now down in South America for the latest leg of her Eras tour. Jim Harbaugh's gotten suspended. HBO has a little bit of a troll infestation. The actors are all coming back, but Overwatch League may be over. And we've got some box office news to cover and more. Get comfy, everyone, and let's get started. start today off with some music news. So after a short break and a little bit of uh, football games, Taylor Swift began the next leg of her Eras tour on November the 9th down in Buenos Aires, Argentina. But on November the 10th, right before the second show, a couple hours before, she had a little bit of bad news for the fans. The pop superstar announced that the concert would have to be postponed, and Swift posted a written message on an Instagram Stories post, and she said, quote, I love a rain show. Remember, she did perform in the rain up in Nashville. That was a pretty awesome concert. But I'm never going to endanger my fans or my fellow performers and crew. We've rescheduled tonight's Buenos Aires show for Sunday, November the 12th, due to the weather truly being chaotic, and it would be unsafe to try and put on this concert. Good news is, I get to stay in Argentina a little later. Well, although Taylor had to delay the show, it really wasn't a bad day for the 12-time Grammy winner. Earlier that day, the Recording Academy announced the nominees for the 2024 award, with Swift herself receiving six nominations. Among the awards, she'll be competing for our Record and Song of the Year for Antihero, as well as Album of the Year with Midnight's. She has not yet shared a reaction about her latest nomination, so she's a little busy, I think. But besides the Grammys, Swift is also the lead finalist with 20 nods for the 2023 Billboard Music Awards, which will stream on November the 19th on BBMA.watch and via Billboard and the BBMA's social channels. But as nice as things are in the world of Taylor Swift, things are getting kind of ugly in the world of Kiki Palmer. The star of True Jackson VP was also the singer of the theme song and has currently been granted full custody of her nine-month-old son, as well as an order to prevent child abduction 
and a temporary restraining order against her ex-boyfriend, Darius Jackson, back on November the 9th, and she cited multiple instances of physical abuse. Well, the actress filed that restraining order in the L.A. Superior Court, according to The Hollywood Reporter, as she accused Jackson of domestic abuse in instances as recent as November the 5th, claiming he trespassed into her home, threatened and physically attacked her, including, quote, lunging for my neck, striking me, throwing me over the couch, stealing my phone when I told him I'm going to call the police. Well, now Palmer claims that Jackson came to her house around 11 a.m. and began filming her on his phone and demanding to see the, the former couple's son, Leotis Andrelton Jackson. After Palmer told Jackson Leo wasn't home and attempted to escort him out of the home, she said Jackson sat her down in the living room chair and com- continued to demand to take Leo, you know, an eight-month-old baby who's currently being breastfed, to go watch a football game. Palmer said she's calling the police, and that's when Jackson allegedly lunged at her face and neck, knocking her backwards over the couch, stole the phone, and ran out of the house. Well, Palmer also detailed an alleged incident from February of 2022 when, quote, Darius body slammed me onto the stairs by my neck, unquote, and also claimed that Jackson had destroyed her personal property, thrown her personal items into the street like her car keys to keep her from driving away, and then threatened to kill himself with a gun if she left. Their relationship began back in June of 2021. They had Leo back in February of 2023, and they ended their relationship in October of this year as well, which really just came a few months after Jackson took to Twitter. And he tried to call Kiki out for this sheer outfit that she was wearing to Usher's concert in Las Vegas, lamenting, quote, we live in a generation where a man of the family doesn't want the wife and mother to his kids to showcase booty cheeks to please others. And he gets told how much of a hater he is. This is my family and my representation. I have standards and morals to what I believe. I rest my case, unquote. Reposting a clip of Usher dancing with the spooning Kiki during the show, Jackson also wrote in a now-deleted tweet, quote, it's the outfit, though. You a mom, unquote. Well, Kiki clapped back and ended up starring in Usher's boyfriend music video in August. Somebody say that your boyfriend's looking for me. Ooh, that's cool. Their next hearing is set for December the 5th. Now it's time for some sporting news. Legendary football coach Jim Harbaugh has been the head coach of the Michigan Wolverines since 2015, and he's been coaching in both the NFL and the college collegiate levels uh, since like 2001. Look, man has been around for a while, but he's not having a very good year. The Big Ten Conference announced that Harbaugh had been suspended for the final three games of the 2023 football season amid an investigation of the alleged sign stealing. Back on November the 10th, in a statement, the conference said, quote, the University of Michigan has been found in violation of the Big Ten sportsmanship policy for conducting an impermissible in-person scouting operation over multiple years, resulting in an unfair competitive, competitive advantage that compromised the integrity of competition, unquote. Okay, 
So basically what they're saying is that he's been cheating. All right. For those who don't know, what exactly is sign stealing? Unlike in the NFL National Football League, there is no coach-to-player communication system in college football. In the NFL, they have a headset in their helmet, the quarterbacks do, that the coach can can talk to the quarterback and signal, okay, this is what we're doing to play. Well, college, they don't have that. Staff has to communicate with their players through hand signals and graphics on the sidelines. A little bit more like baseball. Baseball, you know, is very famous for the flashing of the hands, throw, you know, whatever we're, we're doing here. So they kind of took that and they're using that in college. And if opponents can decode what those signals mean, then they're going to have advanced knowledge of what the next play is going to be. Back in the 1990s, the NCAA, the National Collegiate Athletics Association, banned schools from sending staff members to the games of future opponents. These staff members of the school can no longer attend games of these opponents on their schedule. So they can, you know, to avoid having this vantage point of the sidelines and and start, you know, looking and seeing, okay, what play did they call? What was the sign? Videotaping another team's signals is absolutely banned under the NCAA and Big Ten legislation. The conference said, effective immediately, Harbaugh will not be allowed to be on the sidelines on the day of the remaining games, but they can, he can still do practices and other football team activities. Hours, just hours after Harbaugh was suspended, the University of Michigan actually even filed a restraining order, temporary one, in the Washetna County 22nd Circuit Court. Now, last month, the NCAA notified the Big Ten that it was investigating the allegation against Harbaugh and the university. Well, Michigan football staffer by the name of Connor Stallions was suspended after the investigation reportedly found videos and documented plans and budgets for the scouting of the Wolverines' opponents. This dude had a map, literally like, okay, we're going here, 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 and here to check out all these teams, and we're, yeah, here's the videotapes, right? Additionally, um, they found multiple Big Ten schools of that had the records of tickets purchased in Stallion's name for their games, surveillance video of the people sitting in those seats, pointing cell phones towards the field, and then photos started circulating on the internet that suggested that Stallions was on the Central Michigan sidelines during the September 1st game against Michigan State, and he was wearing uh, Central Michigan University gear and some sunglasses. Stallions was listed as a recruiting analyst for Michigan and had a LinkedIn account that said he was hired by the football program in 2022. A lot of no-nos. Lots of violations if those allegations are true. But speaking of university sports, the University of Arizona is facing a financial crisis that could lead to to certain sports programs from actually being eliminated completely at the school. The school president, Robert Robbins, disclosed the news of potential layoffs and other cost-cutting measures amid a, I think it was $240 million financial shortage at the monthly faculty senate meeting. Athletics has been highlighted as this really big financial drain on the university and a contributor to this university-wide shortfall. The athletic department budget is approximately $100 million. Now, out of that $100 million, you get $40 million from the Pac-12 
And then $30 million comes from ticket sales to the event. Football and basketball, like most schools across Division I athletics, are the primary drivers of revenue for ticket sales. And then the final $30 million of the budget comes from, comes from philanthropy and other contracts. This is according to President Robbins. Arizona currently has 23 varsity teams. The university is actually going to be changing conferences. They're going from Pac-12 to Big 12 next year. The schools in the Big 12 only have an average of about 17 varsity teams. So with that in mind, cutting some of these sports teams in the athletic department is a pretty strong possibility. They've got a couple teams they could probably trim off, and it sucks for those athletes, but I understand budgetary concerns. So there's a lot more to come with this story because Arizona's got to make some really hard decisions. So as they make those decisions and make some announcements, we'll report back. But for now, let's go check out what's going on in the entertainment world. Trolls, man, I tell you, they are everywhere. Some sing, some dance, some are coming to a theater near you, November 17th. Trolls Band Together is almost here. In all seriousness, though, this particular Trolls movie is probably going to have the best soundtrack. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, it's going to be full of boy band stuff, but it's probably because of it's full of boy band stuff. Anywho, the next trolls I'm going to talk about here, these are not the cute and the cuddly types unless you're married to them. And in that case, I am very sorry. Let's go back a couple of years. We're talking June of 2020. Yeah, we're talking about that year. Casey Bloys, HBO's then president of original programming, needed somebody to go on a mission. But we're not talking about like the Mission Impossible style of mission. So Casey Bloys, who was named HBO's CEO and chairman in October of 2022, was a little upset, for lack of a better term, by a tweet from Vulture TV critic Catherine Van Arendalk, who had some thoughts about Perry Mason, HBO's series starring Matthew Reese as a private detective turned defense attorney in 1930s Los Angeles. The remake of the, the original 1960s show carves out an origin story for Perry Mason, showing, you know, flashes of him serving in World War One, which Van Arendonk felt was like really weak storytelling. Days before the series aired on the platform, and apparently she had a screener to be able to do this review, she subtweeted the series Dear Prestige TV. Please find some way to communicate male trauma besides showing me a flashback to the hero's memories of trench warfare, unquote. Bloys got annoyed, and, and, and according to some text messages that was reviewed by Rolling Stone, he sent Van Arendonk's tweet to Catherine McCaffrey, who was HBO's senior VP of drama programming. Quote, this is his message. Maybe a Twitter user should tweet that it's a pretty blithe response to what soldiers legitimately go through on the battlefield. Do you have a secret handle? Couldn't we say, especially since it's given uh, that given it's D-Day to dismiss a soldier's experience like that seems pretty disrespectful. This must be answered. He asked McCaffrey who can go on a mission, adding that they needed to find a mole at arm's length from the HBO executive team. 
We just need a random to make the point and make her feel bad, unquote. Okay, so eventually Blois landed on a rebuttal to Van Arendong, and according to those messages, it said, a somewhat elitist take, is there anything more traumatic for men and now women than fighting in a war? Sorry if that just seems a little too convenient for you, unquote. This exchange was just one of six instances between June of 2020 and April of 21, in which Blois and McCaffrey discussed using what they called a, quote, secret army to fire back at several TV credits on Twitter, now known as X, as well as finding and using anonymous commenters on articles about HBO programming, according to this text message review. Now, Rolling Stone got a hold of these because there's a, a lawsuit. I'm going to come back to that. In this case, the two, Blois and McCaffrey, decided not to hit back at Van Arendong online. But in numerous instances, these executives at HBO did just that. They trolled these critics with these really snarky responses from fake Twitter accounts, dropping pro-HBO comments on these trade publication stories. Now, Rolling Stone reviewed the metadata associated with, the mer- with these messages and verified that they're authentic by linking the sender of the messages to a phone number that actually was registered to McCaffrey. And what's more, in four of the six cases where they found the, uh, the back and forth, the language of the text is it's actually an exact match for the language from these anonymous accounts. So they've put two and two together. Now, HBO didn't dispute the legitimacy of the messages when they were approached for comments. In a statement, HBO spokesperson said, it wouldn't comment on select exchanges between programmers and errant tweets. All right, so how did this all come about? Well, the messages, they're part of this material, a whole, just a whole mess of material that's being prepared for a previously unreported wrongful termination lawsuit filed in the Los Angeles Superior Court back in July by a former HBO staffer by the name of Sully Tamori against HBO McCaffrey and others. Now, the lawsuit alleges that Tamori, who joined HBO back in 2015 and worked as a temp, ended up working as an executive assistant and then working on the show The Idol until he was laid off in October of 2021. And he said he was harassed and he faced retaliation and discrimination after disclosing mental health diagnosis to his bosses. But he was also allegedly asked to perform menial tasks not related to work duties, such as, oh, I don't know, creating fake online accounts to respond to critics. No, no, all right. I know that sounds bad. All right, so according to Tamori, McCaffrey had come to him to create these fake accounts back in June of 2020 and explained that Blois was obsessed with Twitter and always just wanted to pick a fight on Twitter. He, she said, he always texts me asking me to find friends to reply, is there a way to create a dummy account that can't be traced to us to do his bidding? And this was... McCaffrey passing along these messages to Tamori from Bloy. Well, Tamori, of course, he's wanting to impress and be a success, and he helped McCaffrey and Bloy's, but it really helped, really did a number on his mental health. And it wasn't just critics' opinions that Bloy paid attention to. He would also fixate on these anonymous commenters on Deadline articles about HBO programming. July of 2020, Bloy's needed another stealthy poster after HBO's shock decision to cancel the show run. The commenters were starting to criticize his leadership 
And so more replies disputing the rottenness of HBO got posted. At an event at HBO's New York headquarters, Bloy admitted to it all and claimed that he was just a passionate executive and said, quote, I want the shows to be great. I want the people to love them. I want you all to love them. So when you think of that mindset and then think of 2020 and 2021, I'm home. I'm working from home. I'm spending this unhealthy amount of scrolling through Twitter, weren't we all? And I came up with this very, very dumb idea to vent my frustrations, unquote. It is being alleged that there were several trolls being used in the HBO offices. We just don't know exactly how many. But it's a good example, though, showing, you know, you don't know who's behind that glowing screen, behind that anonymous screen name, and even if they're real, right? But let's talk a little bit sag after, shall we? I haven't really brought them up much lately just because the negotiations have been ongoing quietly. Nothing's been talked about. You know, the Writers Guild got their deal, so everybody started focusing more on sag after, and I guess that, that kind of really ramped up their the pressure to get a deal done. Well, there has now been an update. Surprise, on November the 10th, 118 days after they go on strike, a tentative deal has been reached. Well, hallelujah. Well, now the record-breaking contract has been sent out to the union voters, and that did that yesterday on the 14th, and it's needing to be ratified with the majority vote. Ballots will be cast online, and the voting window will last, I think they said about 21 days that, to give everybody a chance. The agreement, it had an 86% board approval rating. So according to Duncan Crabtree Ireland, who was the chief negotiator, the deal includes a 7% minimum wage increase, $40 million in residual participation bonuses for actors on streaming series that reach certain viewership thresholds, and over $1 billion in new wages and benefits. Now, the deal also calls for actors or their estates, if they should pass away, to have approval over their digital replicas and to be compensated for their use. There will be more information released in the coming days, but for now, actors are allowed to turn return back to work. There is one actor, though, who might be needing to take a little bit more time off after a recent incident. Actor Alan Ruck, who is best known for his role of Cameron in Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Succession, was questioned by police after his electric pickup truck crashed into two cars and eventually a pizza shop in Hollywood on Halloween night. It could get wrecked, stolen, scratched, breathed on wrong, a pigeon could shit on it, who knows? Well, not quite what happened to the truck, but... The collision happened around 9 p.m. at the busy intersection of La Brea Avenue and Hollywood Boulevard on the west end of Hollywood's famous Walk of Fame. Surveillance video obtained by KTLA shows Ruck's Rivian rear-end a car that was stopped at a traffic signal, and then it careened into another car before crashing through a wall at, Ruffle, at Raffalo's Pizza Shop. Tim Ratcliffe, who owns several restaurants next to Raffalo's, told KTLA's Chris Wolf he rushed to help Ruck, who was more concerned about the well-being of others than his own. He said, quote, I asked him, are you okay? The first thing out of his mouth was, is everybody else okay? I think I hit someone. Is he okay? Rat, Ratliff, excuse me, Ratcliffe, says the actor told him he didn't know why he crashed. Well, the cause of the crash does remain under investigation, and the police did not find any evidence of intoxication or distraction 
or any other kind of impaired driving. So currently, though, police are reportedly saying that the crash was likely due to Ruck's unfamiliarity with the new truck's high-tech features. Apparently, there's a knob on the dashboard of this truck that if you hit it, it can make your truck go from like 0 to 60 in like 3 seconds. Curse that newfangled technology. Well, two other cars involved in the collision did end up in the middle of the intersection, and a 32-year-old man was hospitalized with non-life-threatening injuries, according to the L.A. Fire Department. The pizza shop was yellow-tagged due to structural damage, and they weren't able to open for business the next day, but have since been repaired. Really glad no one was seriously hurt, because that sounds scary. All right, y'all, it's time to download some of the gaming news. had to do a little bit of extra research on this one because I'm not as familiar with uh, Chinese streaming platforms, but here we go. So Bilibili is a video sharing website that's based in Shanghai where users can submit, view, and add overlaid commentary on videos. Think of like the Chinese version of YouTube. However, as part of China's new regulations, streamers that have over 500,000 followers on these platforms, such as Billy Billy, are now going to be required to reveal their real identities. This is causing a major problem for VTubers. I mean, really, for all of its brilliance, the internet can be a pretty scary place. From swatting to doxing, There's just all kinds of reasons that someone would just want to stay incognito. Although this applies to all streamers, this is especially important for VTubers. All right, but what exactly is a VTuber? Virtual YouTuber. It's like online entertainer, but they use a virtual avatar generated using computer graphics. And then they have this real-time motion capture software or technology that are often not always used to capture their movement. Sometimes it's predetermined. You're on camera, but there's this animated overlay. One of my favorite streamers I actually watch is a VTuber, um, but he's on Twitch. He's a dragon. And then I have another that doesn't have the, mo- the major motion capture. He's a panda. Make of that what you will. But it gives this level of security and anonymity, or rather it did. So changes to China's online landscape are set to cause these big YouTubers a lot of issues. And depending on how the rules are going to be enforced, it could end up seeing this mass exodus from these platforms altogether. The revealing announcement opens and says, and this is translated from Chinese, so bear with me, in order to strengthen the management of self-media, improve the management system and mechanism, and maintain a good network public opinion ecology, The community will guide the self-media accounts with more than 500,000 followers to display their real names on the front desk in batches and stages, unquote. Now, Billy Billy does go on to clarify that this process will begin with accounts that have over 1 million followers, with similar restrictions being enforced on the smaller accounts in the future. Explaining the penalty for non-compliance, Billy Billy states, if the user does not agree to the real name, The subsequent account traffic, income, and other restrictions will be imposed. If enforcers describe, Billy Billy's biggest virtual talents are going to either be forced to reveal their identities to the world or completely withdraw from the platform. This is going to impact some huge VTubers 
that are um, like several from the Niji Sanji members. There's Vox Akuma, Ike Evelyn, um, I'm sorry, Ike Eveland, and Luca Kinoshiro. Ninja Sanji is one of the biggest agencies in the VTuber industry. A lot of their clients are about to be affected. This is going to scare off a lot of VTubers. So one must ask, where can they go from there? Where would they go? And it all really kind of depends on these new regulations. Now, let's shift over to Hong Kong. Our next story is more about the digital currency that can arise from gaming and digital art. But buckle up anyway, it, it kind of got a little messy. Ape Fest Hong Kong ran from November the 3rd through November the 5th. And this is a gathering for collectors of the Board Ape Yacht Club NFT. All right, NFT, non-fungible token. Non-fungible more or less means it's unique. It can't be replaced with anything else. So think like a Bitcoin is fungible. You trade one Bitcoin for another Bitcoin, you get the same thing. But you get like a one-of-a-kind trading card, and it's non-fungible. You can't trade this for a different card. You're going to have something completely different. It's a different form of cryptocurrency, and NFTs can really be anything digital. Drawings, music, your brain downloaded and turned into an AI. But a lot of the current excitement is around using the tech to sell digital art. Enter Board Ape. The Board Ape Yacht Club, which is often really more called Board Ape, is a non-fungible token collection built on this Ethereum blockchain. The collection features profile pictures of cartoon apes that are procedurally generated by an algorithm. You still with me? Eyes kind of glazing over a little bit. All right, well, you better close them because here's what happened at ApeFest. The three-day event for Bored Ape and Mutant Ape owners, it was basically blockchain BlizzCon, a mecca for NFT true believers, promising community events and meetups with fellow JPEG owners, exclusive merchandise, of course, and a series of musical events to close things out. And initially, it seemed a good time was had by all. But not long after the closing concert, something appeared to be not quite right with ApeFest attendees. Feld4014 tweeted out on November the 5th, anyone else's eyes burning from last night? Woke up at 3 a.m. with extreme pain and ended up in the ER. I saw a couple reports, but just trying to figure out if there was a common thread, unquote. It was indeed actually a common thread. In a more detailed breakdown of his experience, user and attendee CryptoBurb said he was diagnosed with photokeratitis. This is a condition that occurs when eyes are exposed to UV light. Welding without adequate eye protection can cause it, commonly known as arc eye. And snow blindness is like another form of photokeratitis. It's basically like a sunburn for your corneas. And like sunburns, the good news is that in most cases, the condition's temporary. As long as you stop doing whatever it was you, that you, you know, did to cause the problem to begin with. The bad news is that until it clears up, it can be extremely painful. Now, eventually, Yuga Labs acknowledged the issue via the Board Ape Yacht Club Twitter account. Quote, apes, we are aware of the eye-related issues that affected some of the attendees of ApeFest and we have been proactively reaching out to individuals since yesterday to try and find the potential root causes, unquote. 
This was tweeted out on November the 6th, the day after reports of injuries first started happening. And they said, based on their estimates, they believe that much less than 1% of those attending and working the event had these symptoms. And while nearly everyone had indicated their symptoms had improved, they said, we're encouraging anyone who feels the, the symptoms to seek medical attention, you know, just in case, unquote. Now, I don't want to come off as overly critical, but we temporarily blinded fewer than 1% of the people who came to our show. Doesn't really strike me as a particularly great response to people who suffered a potentially serious injury at the event. And that's especially true if your proactive outreach is only targeting the people who posted on social media about it. And it wasn't really clear how exactly Yuga was approaching the problem, but if more than 24 hours after this event, it's only managed to speak to maybe, I don't know, what, 15 out of 2,200 people at the show, at the very least, I, I have to think that maybe we're not really seeing the whole picture. And I don't know. Maybe they can't. Sunburn eyeballs for everybody. A representative did later clarify that Yuga Labs was reaching out to those affected, and some of those reached out directly to them. Now, any impacted attendees were encouraged to reach out via social media DMs and share information about their experience and their symptoms to assist in the investigation. They said, we're grateful for our community's patience and cooperation and continued good spirits about 8th Fest 2023. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens next, but I strongly suspect, as others have suggested, lawyers might be involved next now on the other hand it's very possible that board ape yacht club really doesn't see this as anything to worry about you know like a flash in the pan so to speak a couple of hours after tweeting the sorry we blinded you message it retweeted a video of the event that allegedly blinded people and the responses didn't disappoint interestingly enough the tweet with the video was deleted but before it was deleted i found a couple of comments my favorite before the deletion a user by the name of Driz responded with, how many fingers am I holding up? And my response, probably just one. Well, switching over, November 6th was a very sad day for Twitch viewers. Twitch announced on November 1st that the Nintendo Switch will soon be losing the Twitch app. Now, the streaming giant announced that the Twitch app is no longer going to be available to download on the platform starting on the 6th of November. But existing users are going to be able to keep it just for a little longer. They're going to lose access on January 31st of 2024. Twitch sent the following statement to IGN. We recently made the difficult decision to remove the Twitch app from the Nintendo Switch store. Nintendo remains a valued partner, and we appreciate all of the support that the Switch community has provided to Twitch and our streamers, unquote. The Twitch app launched first back in 2021, and at that time, it was said to perform, you know, pretty admirably, though it can only be used to watch streams on Twitch, but not stream directly from the Switch itself. And it also lacked support for viewing the streamer chat within the app itself. Pretty big bummer. I love to watch the chat. The delisting is coming among rumors that a potential Nintendo Switch 2 will be coming out next year in 2024. But Twitch didn't elaborate further on its decision to delist the app on the Switch store. Elsewhere, the Switch continues to support popular apps such as YouTube, but it doesn't include the bigger hitters like Netflix. The lack of support for these major services has really just been 
this big point of contention for Nintendo fans since the platform's release. Now, ladies and gentlemen, fans of Blizzard and Overwatch. First of all, my condolences to the fans. Six years after its glitzy launch, Blizzard's grand experiment appears to be over. Blizzard has confirmed in a statement to IGN that it is transitioning from the Overwatch League, seemingly spelling the end for the competition that was once billed as the future of esports. This particular statement from Blizzard is following some earlier reports of a vote that was going to determine the league's fate at the end of the season, which wrapped up on October the 1st with the grand finals that Kotaku described as beautiful but depressing. Teams were given an opportunity to sign on to an updated operations agreement with a cash payout, I believe it said was $6 million for teams that opted not to continue. Well, Activision Blizzard previously noted that Overwatch League revenue comprises less than 1%, of the company's net revenues. The end of the Overwatch League doesn't necessarily mean the end of competitive Overwatch. The Overwatch League commissioner, Sean Miller, previously said Blizzard's remaining committed to this competitive ecosystem in 2024 and beyond, whatever that ultimately is going to look like. And it really wasn't meant to be this way. I mean, six years ago, Blizzard trumpeted this Overwatch League as a bold new effort in the huge and really it was starting to get super popular esports scene everybody was trying to get in on esports and teams in overwatch were tied to individual cities buying a franchise could cost like 20 million overwatch was among the most popular games of the world following the massive debut in 2016 leading to this unprecedented excitement for overwatch league well in 2018 it was starting to kind of be debated whether Overwatch was going to be successful or not, pointing to investments like there was a $90 million investment with Twitch, but we also know that Overwatch isn't the best eSport to watch. In the years since, Overwatch's popularity has started to fade amid all these little controversies and honestly, the mixed success of the sequel, Overwatch 2. Look, let's be honest. If you didn't play Overwatch it could be truly, really hard to follow. And if your audience can't keep up, they're not going to watch it. This is the same for any sport or esport. If the audience can't engage or can't understand what's going on, they're not going to be able to watch it. They're not going to watch it. You know, it's like, I like to watch Rocket League because it's relatively simple. There's not a whole lot of extra mechanics I need to know. But when it comes to Overwatch, League of Legends, or Dota, Dota 2, if you don't know the mechanics, you don't know the items, I'm lost. I've already lost my attention. And it's really just been this tough time for esports in general over the last year, specifically, with one Valorant team owner calling it one of the worst things you can get into. And this was back in June. Lofty viewership has not translated to strong revenue. And with investment steadily drying up, there's a lot of owners that are finding themselves heavily in the red and they're not as willing to reinvest. So the verdict is in. Overwatch has had its moments and its share of passionate supporters, but the league was never able to really match Activision Blizzard's lofty expectations for this competition. But who knows where Blizzard and esports in general is going to go from here. But I will say this. 
If nothing else, the Overwatch League was certainly fun while it lasted. And now I think it's time that we're going to say goodbye to a few friends. Sports fans all know the infamous name of Bobby Knight, legendary basketball coach whose Hall of Fame career was highlighted by three national titles at Indiana, one capping an undefeated season not since matched, and countless on-court outbursts. But Coach Knight has passed away at the age of 83. Knight became the youngest coach at the Division I school in 1965 when he broke in at Army at 24, but he really made his mark at Indiana, which included a school record 661 games, reaching the NCAA tournament for basketball 24 times in 29 seasons. That's huge. His first NCAA title came in 1976 when Indiana went undefeated. And in 1984, he was tapped to coach the U.S. Olympic team to a gold medal in Los Angeles, the last American amateur team to claim Olympic gold. He was nicknamed the General. Knight was eventually forced out at Indiana in 2000 because he violated a zero-tolerance behavior policy by grabbing the arm of a freshman student whom he said greeted him by his last name. And this was like the final transgression on a really long list, which included his most infamous incident, throwing a chair during a Purdue game and accusations of numerous physical confrontations. But the most notable one involved Knight apparently choking player Neil Reed in a practice back in 1997. Why, you little? Oh, after that, Knight left to become the basketball coach at Texas Tech back in 2001. But he resigned in the middle of the 2008-2009 season, his 42nd year as a head coach, and just completely walked away from college basketball, but later worked as a basketball analyst for ESPN. His firing by then-Indiana President Miles Brand remained a very unpopular one in the state of Indiana, where Knight still had a multitude of supporters. Look, Knight had a bad temper, and it took him a long time to mend fences with those at Indiana. But despite his outbursts, he was a very beloved and iconic coach. And I know that despite the fact that he was no longer in basketball, he's going to be sorely missed. Now, there's another former University of Houston football player that I want to talk about, DJ Hayden. He had actually become very well known because he was a great football player, but he also survived a life-threatening injury on the field back in 2012. And a few months later, he came back as a first-round draft pick. DJ, age 33, was one of six people killed in a multi-car crash in Houston. Alongside him were former University of Houston teammates Zachary McMillan and Ralph or Oragwu, excuse me. The crash came as a Chrysler ran a red light and caused both vehicles to crash under the overpass. DJ was considered this medical marvel. So back in 2012, Hayden suffered a tear of the inferior vena cava. That is the main vein that carries blood from the lower half of the body to the heart. He had a collision with a teammate and this was late in the season but thanks to like super quick action by the high, the school trainers and the medical personnel nearby he survived this injury that injury is normally 95 percent fatal i mean that's he five percent chance of survival and he made it doctors were amazed 
less than a week after undergoing surgery to repair that vein, he was released from the hospital. Doctors are like, okay, DJ, you're going to need like months to recover. And it would be at least a year before you could even evaluate playing, playing ever again. Well, he went through all these pre-draft workouts within months of the injury, erasing fears about his condition. And so the Raiders selected him with the number 12 overall pick. On November the 11th at their homecoming game between University of Houston and Cincinnati at TDECU Stadium, a moment of silence was held for the victims of the crash. Very sad moment for both of the families and our condolences to everyone involved. Now let's check in on what happened at the box office this weekend. It's time for the box office breakdown. Well, the last couple of weeks have been dominated by a creepy animatronic killer bear and friends, but were Freddy and his pals able to hold on to that number one spot? Bears could not hold on to the number one spot. What did take over? The new Marvels movie. This is the newest release in the MCU Marvel Cinematic Universe. It took first place at $47 million. Now, for point of reference, that is less than the first Ant-Man movie back in 2015, which took in $57 million. And even The Incredible Hulk, the Edward Norton version of 2008, that one took in $55 million. But this year's Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania maintains the dubious crown of the worst-reviewed film of the lot at 46%. And despite some of the loudest voices out there for the Marvels, it's still treading water on the positive side at 62%. But let's not get too crazy about that score. Given it's the third worst in the MCU, just below last year's Thor Love and Thunder, which is like 65%. So the question kind of is, did Marvel take a gamble on this movie? You've got girl power. All right, you've got Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel, and Monica Rambo. Is that enough to get people in the seats? But I don't know, it's hard to say. The question does remain, though, is the Marvels a near final nail in the coffin in the appeal of comic book fair? Is this movie coming too late to be super successful? We've talked about this before. There are so many superhero movies out there. The market is oversaturated. Are people tired of it? Is that why it did so poorly? The grosses are more in line of these recent movies with uh, the post-Endgame pandemic era releases. The last five MCU films still all open to over $100 million, with the with four of them grossing over $340 million. I just really think that it's just there's too many. I've lost track of where we are in the MCU. And I had to look, were we in phase four or did we move over to five? Well, okay, apparently the latest Ant-Man movie kicked us off into phase five. But and do we really need to bring the DCU back up? I mean, we've got the full reboot of the, of the, the world imminent and fans are still waiting on the second Aquaman and that's coming out in a couple weeks. I just... People are disappointed by how the Marvels did. Okay, so it took the number one spot. But considering the numbers of the other ones, it was released with very little competition because Dune was removed from the lineup. It was pushed back. And and just in my opinion, I, I just think people are tired of it. 
I don't think that the subject matter was boring. I just think we're kind of tired of it. There is also a little bit of hostility left over. Uh, a lot of people still are not crazy about Brie Larson taking on the role of Captain Marvel. Um, so I think there's a little bit of that involved. But beside the point, I just I think the word is oversaturation at this point. I mean, the Marvels is not even in the top 30 November openings of all time. And it still has the Hunger Games prequel and the new troll sequel to knock it back to third place next week, maybe even fourth, if horror fans show up for this new movie coming out called Thanksgiving, which is going to be about an axe-wielding maniac after Black Friday, probably a former retail worker. Five Nights at Freddy's did take number two this weekend with $9 million, and Taylor Swift's Era Tour took in 5.9 for number three. Studio A24's Priscilla brought in $4.7 million for its third week, while Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon finished at number five with $4.6 million. This coming weekend, though, this one's going to be huge. Starting with Billy Idol's State Line, which is a docu-concert feature film that starts with like this mini-documentary about the Hoover Dam, and it finishes with the first-ever rock and roll concert performed and filmed at the famous landmark. And I love me some Billy Idol. The Hunger Games Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is going to face off with the third installment in that troll series we talked about earlier, Trolls Band Together. Combine that with Thanksgiving and another movie called Next Goal Wins, which is the story of the infamous terrible American Samoa soccer team when they lost 31 to 0 in 2001 at this FIFA match. This weekend, going into Thanksgiving holiday is going to be so fun. So interesting, and I am really looking forward to seeing what the numbers come in at, where the Marvels ends up, how well Trolls does, how well Thanksgiving does, and the Hunger Games. Hunger Games has a lot of hype, and with the whole SAG after thing um, being basically over with, they had received a a pass. This the the cast of, of of Hunger Games did get a pass to go ahead and start promoting, but now you know. Anything, nothing's off limits now, so everybody can start promoting and just get this really last push going into the weekend. So look forward. I'm going to be happy to see some numbers coming in. Let's see how uh, the Marvels hang out with some of the, a lot of these new releases. This is one of the bigger weekends coming up before the end of the year, so stay tuned for that, guys. Now let's go check out what kind of odd news did I find this week. And now for something different. I think I found a couple of really good ones for you guys this week. Let's go ahead and start in New Jersey. A New Jersey man was preparing to sell his pickup truck when the almost unthinkable happened just as the buyer showed up. Jay Vaughn shared security camera footage from his May's landing home showing a buck, yes, a deer, soaring through the air and making a not-so-graceful landing in the bed of the 2007 Chevy Silverado truck. Not every day the venison delivers itself. Oh dear lord, that's classic. The footage does show that the deer scrambled away after the crash landing, apparently uninjured. Vaughn said the deer impact came just as the buyer was pulling up and said he ended up knocking $1,000 off of the asking price because the deer left a little bit of a dent on the side of the truck. Now, Let's go check out a different type of vehicle. A Massachusetts man took to the Connecticut River in a hollowed-out giant pumpkin 
in the attempt to break a world record for paddling. Dave Rothstein of Florence carved his 1,024-pound pumpkin into a makeshift boat and paddled from Deerfield to Holyoke, which is a distance of more than 40 miles, in an attempt to break the Guinness World Record for the longest journey by pumpkin boat paddling. I did not know this category existed. The current record is held by a Nebraska man of Dwayne Hansen, who paddled 37.5 miles in his pumpkin boat back in 2022. There is another contender for that Guinness World Record. Stephen Quenny of Lebanon, Missouri, took a 38.4-mile paddling journey in his own pumpkin boat last month, but his attempt has yet to be certified by the Guinness World Records. So I'm going to be curious to see who's going to squash the world record. All right, now, sometimes people will just get so desperate over the dumbest things that it just makes for a great story. Let me introduce you to 23-year-old Lyric Wynn of Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. He's finally received a prison sentence after six arrests over the past two years. And that does include one arrest for breaking into the police station to find the illegal drugs that the police had seized from him. I mean, points for trying, I guess. On the plus side, Wynn made the police's job very easy by coming to them to be arrested in that case. I doubt he showed the same courtesy the other five times. In his court hearing, Wynn petitioned the Clinton County President Judge Craig P. Miller to receive time served as a nonviolent offender. But the local DA, Dave Strauss, argued on behalf of the people of Pennsylvania, and he had some strong words against that, saying, Look, the defendant has been given every benefit of the doubt. This is the same guy who tried to burglarize the police department to get his drugs back. Enough is enough. At this point, he's earned a state prison sentence, unquote. Now, Judge Miller agreed with the DA as he went on to sentence the repeat offender to a minimum sentence of 17 months and potentially up to eight years as a result of his brazen disregard for the law. Well, our news feed was full of Taylor, Kiki, Jim, Bob, and DJ. VTubers of China may be having some issues, the actors in Hollywood are back. NFT fans got blinded by the light. The Marvels have the top spot this week, but just may not be able to hold it for much longer. We also had some deer damage, floating pumpkins, and an attempted drug theft from the police department. Weird times, I tell you. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. I do want to remind you that I include the links to all of my sources in the comments so you can see what I see and more. Also, don't forget to drop us a comment or send us an email if there's a story you want us to cover. Join us next time as we check out the latest in entertainment news. Remember, stay comfy in the starter zone, guys. This is Amanda. Good luck and have fun. Listening to The Starter Zone with Amanda. I am Raven. We thank you for your time and support. Without you, we simply would not be. Please hit that like and subscribe button and visit us on Facebook and Twitter at 
the Starter Zone. Have we missed something? Have something to say? Leave us a comment or send us audio clips for your chance to be on the show. We invite you to come back for more exciting news and commentary on the world around you. See you next time in the Starter Zone.